The parasha this week is uh, is the parasha Shemot. We're here. We made it. We made it to Shemot. Now there is uh, an intro. There, there were two introductory stories to the story of Moshe Rabbeinu, which begins when Moshe Rabbeinu approached the snare. He understood that there was something special going on with the with the stand. He approached it and he communicated with God. And uh, they had a discussion. Now, there are two introductory stories. One story is about the birth and uh, the early upbringing of Moshe Rabbeinu. And the second story, the second story begins in uh, Shemot Perek Bet, and that's what we're concentrating on the set of the stories, which begins with the words, Vayigdal Hayeled. Vayigdal Hayeled, which means that the Ayelet is a, a young boy, in this case, Vayigdal, he grew up. He was brought to the daughter of Paro, Vayila Leben, and he became her son, which nobody comments upon. And she called him Moshe, now you know that there is the, the, the Torah likes uh, very often to give etymologies of names right? the name comes from somebody not like in our time we name people after people and in the Torah time there weren't any people to name them after so they named, they named children after ideas so the idea that uh, that Paro had was uh, he came out of the water he came out of the water now if, if I was an Egyptian I mean the way I mean I don't know too much about those Egyptians but we do know that they had a kind of um, devotion the Egyptians were devoted to the water to the Nile and they used to uh, pray to the Nile and they would uh, the Pharaoh considered himself somehow a partner with the Nile so that he I brought him out of the water is certainly a compliment I mean it's uh, it's as though you would say this is a very special child this is a very special child the problem however the problem is that the problem with this pasuk is that it's hard to know if it's Hebrew or some other language that we've never heard of Right. Uh, I mean, if it's Hebrew, then how did the daughter of Paro know Hebrew? I mean, how did she know that somehow Moshe equals Minhamayim Mishitihu? That's a problem. That's a problem for which we don't have a particular solution. Everybody knows that the Ibn Ezra tries to uh, say that if you look carefully you could see some Egyptian word hidden in this, uh, in this story but there, there is uh, I mean if you fantasize and you say that somehow uh, the daughter of Paro not only Moshe's sister whose name was Miriam nor his mother whose name was Yocheved who were in charge of his very early education. But even Bat Paro somehow gets involved in making Moshe Rabbeinu into what he was. It sounds as though 
But Paro also knew something about what being Jewish was, and that that somehow she was willing to participate. She was willing to participate in the in the development of the character of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is the only way that you could possibly understand the continuation of the story. So let's go on to the continuation. Rashi Rashi uh, tries to deal here with the language. Uh, technically and grammatically, so I think we're better off leaving that for the moment. Pasuk Yud Aleph. Vayi Bayamim it was in those days, Vayigdal Moshe. And Moshe Rabbeinu grew, grew up. Well, that's a, like a pregnant statement, as though Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he was a Jew. I mean, there was no, there was no question about it. Vayar b'sivlotam. Yes, sivlotam sounds like their oppression. Vayar, he saw that they were oppressed. I, I mean, what exactly could that possibly mean? You mean that until he went out on that day, he didn't know that his brethren were slaves? He had no idea of what was going on outside of the palace? What what is vayar b'sivlotam? What could that possibly mean? Vayar again the same word, and he saw ish mishtri maker ish evri me'echav. He saw an Egyptian beating a Jew. Me'echav again that that kind of um, emphasis that it was his brethren. They were it, it was even though Moshe Moshe Rabbeinu had grown up in the house of Paro. And even though Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, you know, was whatever uh, that that implied, I mean, he was somehow able to uh, to act as though he belonged in the house of Paro, right? He wasn't abused by the people in uh, in the house of Paro, right? So all of that all that means that Moshe Rabbeinu was able was able to be of the house of Paro and know his brethren at the same time. He was, he was uh, a, an interesting character that had grown up in, in Egypt. So Rashi says, if you look at the Rashi, Rashi says, Moshe. So Rashi points out that there's a, a, a language problem. You see Pasuk uh, Yud, it says, Vayigdal HaYelet, he grew big, he became big. And then in Pasuk Yud Aleph, it says, Vayigdal Moshe. What's the difference between Yigdal HaYelet and Yigdal Moshe? So, Rashi says, Alok Vakti Vayigdal HaYelet. Amar Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Lai, right, we call a, 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 a Tanaitic source, are you shown the Koma? One just meant that he grew tall, right? That's the first one. He became the the child grew, the child grew, and then Hasheni Ligdula Sheminahu Paro Albeto. So Rashi is introducing is introducing a new idea, and that new idea is that. The yelet that was brought by Bat Paro into the house of Paro became Vaigdal Moshe. 
Moshe became great. He didn't just become tall. He also became, he also became great. Sheminahu paro al That Paro appointed him, appointed him to be in charge of, uh, of his household. Okay? Vaigdal Moshe, look at the Ramban. I will look at the Ramban. Vaigdal Moshe, Vaigdal Moshe, Shegadalva yala ish. Gadalva yala ish means, uh, as Rashi says, ki mitchila ma vegdal hayelet, shegadal achaloa ya sarich le gemla oto. Vaza viyal the bait par ove yila leven. Gilifne melachim yid yatsei. Vachrechen gadal vayihila ish dat. So the Ramban, the Ramban doesn't depend on the Chazal that says that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu became a great man in the house of Paro, but it just says he became a, a, a person of Da'at. He was able to make, to discriminate. He was able to discriminate between one thing and another. That's what Da'at is. He's able to understand the difference between Hither and Yan. Okay? So that's a, uh, that's a, a problem. Right? In, in other words, the, the before Shim the Mepharshim discern a problem in understanding what the difference between Yigdal HaYeled and Yigdal Moshe is. Right? Yigdal HaYeled is anonymous. Yigdal HaYeled. It's what any child does. He gets bigger if, he, if he's lucky enough to live. A child, Yigdal. But Moshe Yigdal had to be something that was particular to Moshe Rabbeinu. So Rashi said, what is particular to, Rashi, to Moshe Rabbeinu? The Gdula that he had in the house of Paro. What is particular to Moshe Rabbeinu according to the Ramban? The fact that he developed a, a intelligence of a very special, a very special sort. And we'll see if there's a difference that is notable between these two, um, these two positions. The Pasuk says again, He went to see his fellow, his, his brethren, and he saw how they suffered. Rashi says, He saw they were suffering. It doesn't mean, according to Rashi, that he saw something. It means he felt what he saw, right? Which I think is a distinction that that we all can we could all agree with, right? You could see somebody suffering in a kind of a movie, and it doesn't affect you personally, or you could see uh, something that does affect you personally. So here the emphasis is are uh, on on that it's it's echad vayitzay el echad. Because they were Echav, he felt their suffering. He wasn't suffering himself, but he felt their suffering. That's Rashi. What, is, uh, what does the Ramban say? You see the Ramban? It's in the fifth line in the Ramban. He uh, he was told by somebody, Ramban, anonymously, that he's actually a Jew. And therefore he wanted to see them. They are his, they are his brothers, right? 
They, so he wanted to see him. V'inein istakev v'sivlotam v'amalam and he, he suddenly saw them suffering and working so so hard and he was not able to suffer it in other words he therefore he killed the Egyptian who 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 was oppressing the one who was oppressed right this Egyptian he says this is what it says in the end of the uh, of the Pasuk so that that the idea is that this Egyptian was not carrying out the instructions of a slave owner. It wasn't slavery that that was the issue, but he was lachain haragamitri hamilchats. In other words, this Jew was already suffering the oppression of slavery. Along came the Egyptian and he was hitting him. He was beating up on, on him. But it had nothing to do with slavery. It was extra. It was an addition. It was an addition to what he uh, uh, saw. That's Vayetzei Elachayim. So then, Pasuk Yudbet says, I'm sorry, Ish Mitzri, Makeh Ish Mitzri, Rashi says, Nogesaya, he was an oppressor. Memuneh al Shotrei Yisrael, he was uh, appointed upon the, the officers of Yisrael. Vaya mamidam mikarot hagever limelachtam. And he would wake them up, mikarot hagever, when the, when the roosters start crowing in the morning, in order that they should do their, their work. So that, that he was known. He was known as an oppressor, right? Malke Ishivri Rashi, Malkehu Vehodehu. I'm sorry. He would beat him and and make him suffer. He was the husband, the Egyptian husband of the woman whose name was Shlomit Batdivri, Venatan Ba Einav. And he uh, sort of put his eye on her. And at night he went and he took the husband, the Shlomit Batibri, he took her husband and chased him out of the house. And he came back, the Egyptian came back into the house and he, he had relations with his wife. Kisvura Shehu Baala. She thought that it was her husband. The Chazara Ish Leveto, the Ergish Badavar. This husband came back and he realized what had happened. Ukshiraoto Mitzri Shehergish Badavar. And when the Egyptians saw him and realized that he knew what what had happened, Ayamakehu Verodehu Kolhayom. So what is this Rashi? Why does Rashi quote this? What is Rashi about this story? This story is found in the Midrash. Huh? It makes it very personal. It's what? It's very personal. Uh, Alright, but what? It's not like Rashi. Rashi is not that loosely connected. What is in the text that bothers Rashi or that Rashi thinks that he has to, uh, the emphasis? When you say Mate Ish Ivri, he hit. Uh, a, a Hebrew man 
So, so what is the idea? What is the idea that catches Rashi or catches Rashi's attention? The fact that this was not a general position. This was a particular action. It was a particular action. Each A Egyptian guy was beating up on A Jewish guy. Now that sounds like they had some kind of reason. There was some reason for this. Now this, it doesn't matter what the reason was as far as we're concerned, but Rashi, Rashi quotes what's written in, in, in Chazal. Now, now it has nothing to do with historicity. Right? It doesn't do whether we can prove that this actually happened or it didn't happen. I mean, it could have happened. Right? It could have happened. But the point remains that this Egyptian guy was beating up on this Jewish guy for a particularistic reason and nothing to do with the fact that they were slaves and they were slave owners. Right? It had nothing to do with slavery. It had to do with a personal uh, kind of conflict that they that they had, and this is a very important thing to understand. To understand the position of Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's so, just help understand why the man was hiding Misa. Well, let's say again. Why did Moshe have the right to kill this man? Okay, good, good, good. You ask you ask a question. It's a good question. The Mefarshim deal with the question about about. Uh, I will see in a minute. We'll see in a second. How? But it's a question. It's a question that if Moshe Rabbeinu is just, that if he's, uh, how can you be kill somebody for striking somebody? That doesn't seem. Adultery. I mean, there's a reason now. That's why the story is important. The, the story is important, but it's still not a reason to kill him. Adultery? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's he born? But, uh, why doesn't he mention the midrash? Why doesn't Rashi say? That's what he said. Everything, everything in Rashi is from the Rashi. He doesn't have to say. Sometimes, sometimes, but everything else that he doesn't say is also from the Medrash. Everything, every all pieces of information is from the Medrash. The first Rashi on the page is grammatical. That's not in the Medrash, right? The Medrash doesn't uh, usually deal with grammar, but Rashi has grammatical knowledge, as we have seen from other sources, right? Uh, Machberet Menachem, it's called. Right when I told you, there's a street, Menachem Ben Saruk Street, not far from here. And that's the Menachem who wrote the dictionary that Rashi uses. Right? Machberet, it's called Machberet Menachem, the Menachem's notebook. Menachem's notebook. So that's what I think. That's what I think. It's very important that Rashi is stressing here the fact that it was a personal vendetta. It was an Egyptian against a, uh, a Jew. It had nothing to do with Yitziat Mitzrayim. It was not about Yitziat Mitzrayim, not about, about uh, national justice. It was about an individual versus an individual, and Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu took part. Now if you look at Pasuk Yudbet, Pasuk Yudbet, it says, Vayifen Kovachov, he looked here and he looked there and he saw that there's nobody around and he beat the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand he covered him up with sand or something like that Rashi look at Rashi an amazing Rashi what's it there's like he looked here and he looked there I mean what's the what's it say and he looked around Rashi says, no, 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 Kova has a special meaning. Ra'ama salo babayit umasalo basadeh. 
Kol Vacho. Right? He checked him, he, he looked into the matter. And he saw that it was something that happened at his home and something that was happening now outside. These two things were connected, right? That's Ko Vacho, according to Rashi. Vayarki Einish. What is Vayarki Einish? Rashi says, Rashi says, Vayarki Einish. Atid Latseit Mi Menu Sheyit Gayer. In other words, like Moshe of his wife, if I kill him, what about his descendants, four generations hence, that are not going to be born? Maybe one of them would, uh, would con- convert and become a uh, very, very important Jew. Can I kill him? So he says, no, there's nobody. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to do that. He was able to see what was going on in the future. But it's, it's, it's interesting, Rashi, what is Rashi stressing here? What is Rashi stressing? What would you say if you had to teach this, uh, this to the children in school? I mean, what is Rashi stressing? That, that Moshe Rabbeinu could only act in a manner that could be described as ultimate justice. Ultimate justice includes the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and, and uh, uh, that's why you know you know that, that justice is one of the great uh, uh, Torah difficulties. It's very, the, the, the Mishnah in Makot says that, that if a, a baked in would kill somebody once in 40 years, that would be called a baked in horeget. Once in 40 years. It was if, if you learn... Uh, the Masechtot, the Makot, and Sanhedrin, you see how difficult it is to actually uh, uh, accuse somebody and find the person guilty of murder. It's, it's, almost, it's almost a total impossibility, which I say is uh, tongue-in-cheek, I guess. It's like a, we're very fortunate that in the state of Israel, the religious people don't have a majority because we would be in, in great trouble trying to follow the... In other words, in the courts in Eretz Israel, in the time of the Tanaim and the Moraim, I mean, there weren't that many uh, Jewish murderers. And so they were able to maintain a stable society without carrying out the death penalty, which is uh, a very remarkable thing. Why isn't Rashi taking shot I always thought Rashi was Pshat. Yeah. He says here that Vayraki and Ish the generations back forward. He just looks around and sees nobody there. You don't think that's Pshat? No. I mean, <laughs> no. You, you, what you're arguing is you're arguing that Pshat means the way the words say it. Right. Right? But Rashi thinks that Pshat also means that each phrase should have importance. <laughs> and that if the phrase doesn't have any importance he doesn't like that he thinks that's not what Torah is Torah has this great ability to convey ideas and information even when it seems to be very kind of prosaic that's Rashi that's one of the things that Rashi teaches us that's how we learn that's how we learn we, it all comes from Rashi we say and what does that mean? What did he mean by that? What do you mean by this? This this kind of uh, endless uh, uh, nitpicking about the text that all comes from Rashi. 
for us. I don't mean that Rashi was the only one who learned that way, or that he was the first one to learn the way. I don't mean that. What I mean is that we learned that way because of Rashi. That, that's, uh, that's why Rashi, Rashi, Reit, Shin, Yud, right? Rabban, Shel, Yisrael. That's what, that's what Rashi was called. That was Rashi was called by, uh, by the great scholars. They, they, they understood that it all came to us. It came to us from Rashi. Because Rashi was printed with the Chumash. After a certain point, you couldn't have a Chumash without Rashi. That's a modern thing. Uh, you know, only in modern times did they have like a Tanakh. They put out a, a, a Tanakh, a book without Rashi. But uh, every, every, almost every Chumash is printed with Rashi. I see that you're not. So, I'm saying, so when Rashi says Pshat, he has these two criteria. What do the words say? And does it mean something? Does it mean so? If you have, you have this, this, Vayaki uh, Einish. Vayaki Einish. What do you mean Vayaki Einish? What's an Ish? An Ish is somebody important. The word ish, as opposed from, well, to other words that are used for people, right? The word ish it also means, as we pointed out one time or another, that the word ish in Hebrew also means malach, means somebody very important, somebody's doing God's God's will or, or acting on behalf of acting on behalf of God. That's an ish. Vayarki einish. So Rashi says, okay, it must be the second meaning of the word ish. Not the word, the meaning which is a person, but the meaning which is a special person. Now how do I put a special person into this pasuk? He says, oh, I looked and I saw there are no special people coming from the line of this, of this person. Ain't Okay? Pasuk Yud Gimel. Yud Gimel. Pasuk Yud Gimel. So Moshe Rabbeinu was confronted again by an issue, by a moral issue, two Jews beating each other, but one of them is a Rasha, and the other one is defending himself. What does Rashi say? How does Rashi read this? Rashi Shnei Anashim Ivrim He says Datan Vaviram Heim Shehotiru Min Haman Datan Vaviram Datan Vaviram are well known because they are the participants in the merit of Korach if you remember they participated they were amongst the ones who were named Datan Vaviram now what is it that how does Rashi how does Rashi reference Tatanam of Aviram? Who are these two guys, Tatanam Aviram? They're the ones, Shahotiru Minhaman. What does Shahotiru Minhaman mean? The man, the mana that came down from heaven every day. You were only allowed to take a certain amount per capita. Right? Beka la Gulgolet. Gulgolet is a head. Beka is the amount per capita. If you take more than that, if you take more than that, you're transgressing. But besides transgressing, the whole thing turns into mud. But you can't really use it. So the Tadba Aviram were the ones, Shotiru Minhaman. 
They didn't have faith. They didn't have faith that God would bring the man again the next day, and they wanted to save it up, even though it was also to it was also to save it up. Now, again, it's like a mystery. Why did Rashi Why did Rashi put this in? It's often true. It's often true that whenever there are people in a story and they don't have names, that Rashi will provide the names through the Medrash, right? Like where the Kedat Yitzchak, Abraham went and Yitzchak went and Shnei Ne'arav, Imo. So who were the Ne'arim? What? Eliezer and Ishmael. So Rashi says that. Rashi says Eliezer and Ishmael. It's like Rashi says, look, they have names. But in this story, they don't deserve to be named. It, it, in other words, uh, according to Rashi, according to Rashi, sometimes you could be there, but you're not really there. So, so Ishmael and Eliezer, because they could never understand what was going on, really understand what's going on there. They, they, they thought Abram had gone crazy or, or something. He was going to sacrifice his son. So they're not there. They're not there in the story because they, they can't participate in any way. They have no cogent response. They have no way of understanding or, 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 or uh, uh, becoming part of the story. So in the, in the text, their names are, are, are not there. They, they don't have names, these two young men who came with them. They don't have any names because they don't participate. But Rashi says, well, of course they had names. They just don't have names in the story, right? So in order to do that, in order to give you that idea, Rashi has to name them. And there's no other way, other way you could do it. Otherwise, you would think that they're just, they're just totally unimportant. But in terms of this idea of who inherits Avram Avinu, who is the one who inherits, right? So they're all there. All the possible inheritors, right? Eliezer, domestic Eliezer, Abram himself said, if I don't have a son, he's going to inherit me. Right, Yishmael? He said to, to, to uh, Yitzchak, you, ah, I, was, uh, I was circumcised when I was 13. I'm a big deal. But in the story of Akedat Yitzchak, they fade away and disappear. You see that neither of them was worthy. The same thing is true here. Rashi is saying that, that there's a particular issue. Of course, the Torah doesn't want to mention their names because they're not good people. But they are a, a particular issue. It's not just that the world was coming apart, that all the Jews were beating up on each other. But there was a particular issue connected to, and we will see in a minute, right? We'll see in a minute. Who made you an Ish? What's Ish? We just said Ish, somebody important. Sar, the Shofet. What is a Sar? Sar is, is, is a diminutive of Melech. Right? It's the authority, the authority of Malchut. What is Shofet? What is Shofet? A Shofet is a judge. A judge is a person who knows the Torah, a person who knows what the Torah wants. So that this, either Tatada Avirab, or whoever said it, knew exactly who Moshe Rabbeinu was. Isn't that what it says? He says, Misam Chasar Veshofet. Well, you don't say that to any beggar walking around in the street. 
Don't say that to any criminal who goes around and kills somebody. It was when you say that to the person that you want to deny, you want, you want to deny him that authority because you feel he's getting it. It's, it's kind of creeping up on you. So me some savage of is like saying, you're not a, so you're acting like a savage of it. Maybe you will be one someday, but not, not yet. Halaragani, I tell me, you want to kill me? Kasha Yarakta Etamitri, Vayra Moshe Vayom Achain Odadavar. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, you see Pasuk Yud Gimel, the wide line, second wide line. Why should you hit the other guy of a Okay, he hasn't hit him yet. He hasn't hit him yet, but he's a Rasha anyway. Okay, What's a na'ar? A na'ar is a person who hasn't got a role, who doesn't have a role. It's like again, a kedat yitzchak shnei na'arim imo. It wasn't because they were young. It was because in that kedat yitzchak they didn't have a place. They didn't have a, 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 a role. They didn't play a role. So here it says, bisam ish Okay, we can argue about that, but you're not an ish. In other words, you're not what you're going to be. That's what they said, Haller again, this is, this is a, a great chazal which answers all the other questions that you might have about what's going on with Moshe Rabbeinu. What is Ataomer? What is Ataomer? Ataomer is like Atachoshev. You, you, are you thinking of killing us? But why does Ataomer? Like we say it in, in, in English, uh, uh, no, it's something. We say it in Hebrew. Uh, in Hebrew, so we say based on this possible We say, You think you're going to do this or you're going to do that? That's what, that's what we say. Look again. Look, 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 look. What does that mean? That's in, that's in, in, the, in the Medrash. What's Shema Meforash? Like it, it's a power. Shema Farash is a power that, like, it's the name of God. It's the name of God. And the idea being is if you, if you own the gate to the Shema Farash, you can do things that are magical. That doesn't, don't seem to be reasonable. So, Halagenia told me, are you going to kill me in the way that you killed him with the Shema Farash? And if he killed him with the Shema Farash, then what problem is solved? What problem is solved? Well, the other guy maybe didn't deserve to be killed, right? Yeah. Right? Didn't we say that we, we have that problem that that the Egyptian, after all, didn't kill anybody? Uh, so if you say Alargeni, I told me that Moshe Rabbeinu killed him with shame on Farash. What does that really kind of mean? That he was killed by God? That God killed him? The shame on Farash is not a weapon exactly. It's a it's a clarity of vision. It's a clarity of vision. So Moshe Rabbeinu kind of said. You know, said, doesn't this guy deserve to die? And he died. And it was, it was not that Moshe Rabbeinu did it. 
So for, for Rashi, for Rashi, I would say that this medrash, this medrash which attacks this particular word, is, is of great significance because it clarifies that Moshe Rabbeinu is still within the limits of the halacha, which was very important for Chazal. Chazal didn't want didn't want the heroes in the in the story to act like barbarians, but they had to act as halachic halachic people. So that's uh, that's what it says. Halageri et Omer, what Omer you say? B'shem amforash vayira Moshe kipshuto umedrasho. Here, here's one of your pshat and drash. Vayira Moshe was afraid, right? Umedrasho no dalo no dali adavar shayiti. Tamea alav, machat u Yisrael mikol shivim umot liyot nirdim b'avodat parach. Avoroe ane ani shehem ruuyim lekach. Okay, achay notach adavar. Is that what we were learning? I skipped something, right? I'm sorry. Vayira Moshe kipshuto. He was afraid. That's pshuto. Medrashol lo toaglo al shurabi Yisrael rishaim dilatorim. Dilator is another word for rishaim. Amar meata shema einam ruuyim lehigael. So here you have it. Here you have the whole thing. What is the whole thing that Rashi? What is, what's the way to understand Rashi? The only way to understand Rashi that Moshe Rabbeinu was already Moshe Rabbeinu. If, in other words, he knew where he was. He knew what the situation he was witnessing was. That he was witnessing the period before redemption, before Geulah. And he knew that B'nai Yisrael were being redeemed on the basis of their slavery. That somehow the slavery was involved. They had to go through this. They had to go through this period of slavery in order to be redeemed, in order to then become Am Yisrael and receive the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu knew all of this. And the reason that he's walking around, right, outside of the palace is to make sure that he is in the flow of history. That the history that he knows about, that he knows is supposed to happen, that he learned from his mother and his sister, that that is actually going to happen. And here you find, Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid. Kipshuto, he was afraid. Rashi doesn't like that. Why doesn't Rashi like that? Because if Moshe Rabbeinu is kind of being being uh, backed up by a Kaddish Baruch if Moshe Rabbeinu can kill an Egyptian with uh, Shem HaMaforash, what exactly is Moshe Rabbeinu afraid of when it comes to himself? So he says that even though the simple chat is represented by Chazal in different places, that Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid for himself, the real shot has got to be that Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid about something else, something that was not under his control, something that could not be dealt with by the simple fact that God had already chosen him to be a special, uh, a special leader, and that was that he wasn't sure if uh, Jews could kill Jews or Jews could attack other Jews. I mean, even somebody who's not. Uh, a reasonable kind of a uh, darshan 
could make a little bit of hay out of this, considering our situation today. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but if you're thinking it, that's fine. So, so he says, Vayirav Moshe Kipshuto Medrasho. Medrasho, since, since Moshe Ben had nothing to be afraid of, according to Rashi, Medrasho, the Ad Lo Al Shirabi Sa'ari Sha'im de Latorim. So that Moshe Rabbeinu is acting like Moshe Rabbeinu before he becomes Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, that's the that's the whole point, isn't it? That Moshe Rabbeinu was always Moshe Rabbeinu. He was always that way. He went out into to check on his brethren because they were his flock. They were the people that he was going to lead out of Mitzrayim. It was only reasonable that he should be out there to find out what was going on, what was going on uh, with them. Uh, what's exactly still true? Well, What's the difference between? Oh, there's no difference. Dilator is a Greek word that, uh, that Chazal used. They're like the prosecutors, for the prosecuting attorneys. For, for our, for, but there's no no difference, right? Uh, <coughs> means like pshat. No means like they found out that I killed him. But again, Rashi doesn't like that because why should Moshe Rabbeinu be afraid? Why should Moshe Rabbeinu fear uh, uh, if he is if he is using God, the name of God, to kill people? And God is certainly on his side. Umedrasho nodalo hadavar shehayiti tamea alav machatu Yisrael mikol shivim ulmot liyot niradim ba'avodat perach. But you could say, you could say, I see Moshe Rabbeinu had like this one question. He said, why, why are we enslaved in Egypt? Why aren't we just going to Har Sinai and getting the Torah? And the answer that Moshe Rabbeinu gave himself was that some of the bad has to be knocked out of us. We're, we don't deserve it yet. We are chosen, but we're not appropriate as yet. That's what Moshe. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. We look at the Ramban. Look at the Ramban. Oh, great! Look at the Ramban. The Ramban says, "Halargeni atomer mikan anulomdim she haragob sheman farash l'shon Rashi." That's Rashi. Medrash Rabbeinu who. This is a Ramban very often. The Ramban says, Rashi is based on the Medrash. Right? This is what the Chachamim say, so I can't really argue with it. But I need Tamea. I could have a question. My question is, in came me egid l'rasha ki Moshe harago. How's that for a question? If Moshe Rabbeinu killed him with the shame of Thoros, that means that it's like the guy died of a heart attack in the middle of the street. So why would anybody say that Moshe Rabbeinu did it? Right? How how would they find out that Moshe Rabbeinu did it? Olai samach yado Allah ve'kalaleu b'shem Hashem v'zeu v'yach. Maybe the Rabbah says Moshe Rabbeinu put his hand on the Egyptian's forehead and said the Abracadabra, and then he died. 
So it was easier to, to kind of connect Moshe Rabbeinu to the death of the Egyptian, even though he didn't do anything which would ordinarily be culpable. That's, the, that's what the Rabban suggests, according to Rashi, according to the Medrash. Oh, with nation of right? Maybe because the Egyptian died while he was standing there talking to him. Pachad Moshe Moshe was afraid that they would tell this story and say he killed him, so he buried him in the sand. And so the Egyptian. I mean, they, the Jew saw Moshe Rabbeinu like burying him in the in the sand, so he figured he must have killed him. and he knew that Moshe Rabbeinu was the cause. Maybe he thought he killed him. He killed him with the Shemam Farash, but maybe he thought the, the, the Jew thought that Moshe Rabbeinu killed him with a sword because all he saw was that he buried him. He didn't see how he killed him. Okay, so in other what? So I, I, I just say that the Ramban, how does the Ramban deal with Rashi? Something about Rashi he doesn't like, even though it's in the Chazal. He's not going to come out. Yeah, no, in the Chazal, Jews, Jews, what? It sounds like they know that he's guilty. They didn't know. The, the, Rabban, the Rabban says if they knew that he killed him shame on Faraj yeah. they wouldn't say that he killed him but I, I thought we learned it from the shame on Faraj because they say the words and the Hargeni after all men right no, so it's them right. who express no sir the Rabban right so the Rabban says how, how did they know that he's a murderer like you killed that other guy you're going to kill us like you killed them? How did they know he killed the other guy? So Rashi says, he killed him, Shema Farash. So Rabban said, if you killed him, Shema Farash, how do you know who killed who? Shema Farash means it's a mystical power. It's not something you see. It's not like hitting him over the head. So the Rabban makes several suggestions to defend Chazak. Maybe they saw this, maybe they saw that, maybe they had some sort of inference that said that. And then the Rabban says, Adarabshat, Omrima Mephorshim, Ki Ataomer, Perush Hoshev, Ki Matsinu Amira Al Machshevet Halev, Amati Anibalibi, etc. The Ain Bekan, skip the next passage, the Ain Bekan Sorech Lazet. In, in other words, there are those who explain as though it means, do you intend to kill me? Are you thinking of killing us? Not because of what happened before, just, you know, here's Moshe Rabbeinu, he looks young and strong and, and he's uh, kind of uh, interested in them. Ki in other words, you want to kill me just like you killed, uh, you killed uh, um, this other guy, and so you want to, you want to. Uh, the Ramban says, you, therefore you're complaining about me. Why should you beat? beat up on your, on your fellow. So we have from the Rashi and the Ramban, Ramban doesn't like so much this idea about the Shema Mephorash, for whatever reason. 
Is that because of the word Vayach? What was that? The, the, the word Vayach. The 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 is Vayach. Yeah. And it doesn't say Vayoma. It says Vayach. Ain't each Vayach it a yeah, but uh, the Rabbad Erinami, uh, the Rabbad gave you a possible solution. No, but I'm just saying that would be the thing. That's no, the Rabban, the Rabban in this case does not simply deny what Chazal said. There's something else here. There's some there's some problem that the Rabban has. He doesn't like the shame Hamaforash option. So the question, the question we started out with was, who was Moshe Rabbeinu before he became Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, if we'd say that the, the meeting of Moshe Rabbeinu with HaKadosh Baruch at the Sneh, at this burning bush, that's the beginning of the story of Moshe Rabbeinu. And until that time, he was in training. You know, he wasn't exactly Moshe Rabbeinu. There were things that were happening to him, but he wasn't designated as yet. Uh, nevertheless, when we learn the Rashi, we learn the Ramban, we might change our opinion. But before we go back to the Rashi and the Ramban, let's look at the at the Ramban. The Ramban and the guy to the perplexed. Part two, chapter forty-five comes up with it. You know that uh, we we're not going to go into it now. But you know that prophecy was very important to the Ramban because it it. Uh, the, the Rambam, who I guess was a very smart man, and even in his own community it was noticed that he was a very smart man, and wherever he went, and he traveled a lot until he was about 30, he was, his family was uh, not stable. They had to move from time to time, because the Muslims and the Christians, and, and uh, the Rambam, wherever he went, was highly regarded in the Jewish community until finally he came to Alexandria Alexandria he became a Dayan besides being a doctor as everybody knows but he was also a Dayan and, a, and a sought out for various kinds of, of advice and he was a leader of the, of the Jewish community at that time so it was well known that the Rambam was a very talented person for the Rambam the end of talent like you know like today, people like to talk about the smartest person in the world, or the, the, the IQ that bursts through the ceiling of all IQs, or something like, something like that. The Rambam thought that the highest form of intellectual achievement is called prophecy. And prophecy did not mean that God sent you special delivery letter and everybody else got regular third class mail that's not what prophecy was but prophecy was a human achievement which brought you close to God that was the path to being close to God it was called prophecy just like at a later date I mean there are other mitzvot that are given this honor other than Prophecy, like Rav Nachman of Braslov talks about tshuva. He says tshuva brings you closer to God. Again, the Rambam thought that prophecy is the path to coming close to God. And therefore, even today, according to the Rambam, we can prepare ourselves for being prophets. It's, it's a bit difficult, as the Rambam himself describes it in Hilchot Yisodeya Torah, in the seventh chapter. It's quite difficult but it's not set up as an impossible goal. 
You could do it. You could get there. So in the Moran Nebuchadnezzar, there's a lot of discussion of prophets and prophecy. And in this chapter, the Rambam goes through the stages of prophecy, right? There are lower levels of prophecy, middle levels, higher levels. But before he gets to that, before he gets to that, he says that there are, he talks about the first three degrees of prophecy. It's the first one that interests us. I'll read a little bit. The first degree of prophecy, this is, um, I think, Friedlander. Friedlander is the old standard translation that you can get on the internet. The first degree of prophecy consists of the divine assistance which is given to a person and induces, encourages him to do something good and grand. You hear that? Mm-hmm. Good and grand. Like you, like a person wants to do good. He wants to be an actor in the, in the world. That's a degree of prophecy to deliver a congregation of good men from the hands of evildoers to save one noble person or to bring happiness to a, uh, a large number of, pe- uh, of people. He finds in himself the cause that moves and encourages him to this deed. This degree of divine influence is called the Spirit of the Lord, Ruach Hashem. That somebody, somebody has the Spirit of God. What does that mean? He acts in the way God would want him to act. It's not that he has special communication with God, but he acts in a way that can only be described as the way of God. The way of God. This is the Spirit of God. And of the person who is under the, that influence, we say that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, clothed him, or rested upon him, or the Lord was with, with him, and the like. All the judges of Israel possess this degree for the following general statement is, is made concerning them. All the Shoftim is Shoftim, right? The period of the Shoftim. After Moshe Rabbeinu and Yoshua come the period of the Shoftim when Jews would go to these special people and ask them to, uh, to solve some problem that they had. Either the problem of law, the problem of ideas, or problem of human relations. But they would go to these Shoftim. And about these Shoftim it says... Uh, the Lord raised up judges for them and the Lord was with the judge and he saved them so that is to say uh, they, they weren't prophets but they were with God somehow they were, they were with God also the noble chiefs of Israel belong to this class the Nisiyin the same is distinctly stated concerning some of the judges and the kings the spirit of the Lord came upon Yiftah of Samson it is said the spirit of the Lord came upon him and the spirit of the Lord came about Saul uh, when he heard these words uh, again that Amasa was moved by the Holy Spirit to assist David a spirit clothed Amasa who was the chief of the uh, captains and he said thine are we David In, in other words people somehow act out since what's his name that sociologist we call it charisma right in fact what Max Weber good very good very good Max Weber so we call it charismatic leadership what is charismatic leadership it means a gift like like you have the gift of leadership you're not just uh, like somebody who does the computer better than the other person but you 
you have something special people want to follow you they want to uh, that's what Shaul HaMelech Shaul HaMelech was Mishich Mola he was noticed wherever he went he was noticed and so he had that charisma that made him a, a, a likely candidate to be the first king the first king of Israel thus are we oh, I'm sorry now listen to this this faculty faculty means uh, right? this faculty was always always possessed by Moses from the time he from the time he had attained the age of manhood what what is he explaining Vaigdal Moshe as opposed to Vaigdal Anar Vaigdal Anar that's what Rashi said he got big but Vaigdal Moshe he became great as Moshe right that he and he said uh, it moved him to slay the Egyptian it moved him to slay the Egyptian in other words he saw injustice and he could not bear injustice that was Moshe Rabbeinu he couldn't bear it and to prevent evil from the two men that quarreled to prevent evil from the two men that quarreled in other words according to the to the to the to the, to the according to the Rambam we are exposed to the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was always Moshe Rabbeinu that's the introduction and it's not true it's not true that Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen because he, he, he acted in a certain way when the bush was burning Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen because he was the only possible candidate because he not only not only had leadership qualities which he got from the house of Pharaoh he was the king he was the only one who could stand up to Pharaoh without any difficulty but because he had innate sensitivity which is a kind of prophecy in order to be a prophet you have to be a prophet that's what the Rambam that's what the Rambam says don't expect somebody who is not a prophet to gain prophecy it's being a prophet that enables you to gain prophecy that was Moshe Rabbeinu and that's the story that we learn about Moshe Rabbeinu and then he adds he adds uh, it moved in slave, uh, and it was so strong that after he had fled from Egypt out of fear out of fear against Rashi and arrived in Midian a trembling stranger he could understand himself from interfering when he saw wrong being done he could not bear it he could not bear it that's Moshe Rabbeinu what's the, what's the thing that was being done that the daughters of Yitro were not given access to the water to the well to feed their to feed their flocks so he could not bear it the Rambam says that's uh, that's the way it was I mean that's what he says somehow Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu is being introduced to us he's being introduced to us in this parasha right as as a special person the one who summarizes it in a very neat way is the Rambam the Rambam says that Moshe Rabbeinu could not bear injustice and therefore when they said Misa Chassar V'Shofet when the Jews said to Moshe Rabbeinu Misa Chassar V'Shofet who made you a king? who made you a judge? because they saw that that's what he was he was a judge and he was a he was a king and, and he didn't they couldn't understand where such a person came from 
But apparently Moshe Rabbeinu had to be brought up the way he was brought up, and he was allowed, he was allowed to develop these tendencies within himself, which enabled him then to go out to his people and to, uh, uh, and, and to act as he did. What is left, what is left is that Moshe Rabbeinu began to have doubts about whether, uh, uh, I would say one more, doubts about whether they deserve to be redeemed, I would say one more thing. Everybody understands, everybody understands that uh, the, uh, uh, everybody asked this question, you know, maybe on Pesach, we asked this question, why were the Egyptians punished so severely? And the answer that is generally given both by the Rambam and the Ramban is that the, after all, question, second half of the question, isn't it true that the Egyptians were agents of God? I mean, God sent the Jews to the tribe to be slaves. The Egyptians enslaved them, so why should they be punished endlessly and so severely by God? Question. The answer that the Rambam gives and the Ramban gives is that they, uh, they were overly enthusiastic, these Egyptians. I mean, say, okay, they could enslaved people, but you don't have to beat up on them. So it turns out that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he went out and he saw the Egyptian beating up on the, as Rashi explains it, Rashi explains it using this story about about the Shlomit Batibri and uh, this guy who came and raped her, uh, etc. That this this is the extra measure, the uncalled for measure where justice could still play a role. In other words, justice could not play a role against slavery because God imposed the slavery on, on B'nai Yisrael. But justice, the justice of Moshe Rabbeinu could play a role against excessive uh, use of authority and unnecessary use of uh, Egyptian authority. So we see that this is Moshe Rabbeinu. He was chosen in the same way that Avram was chosen because he was able to intuit he was able to intuit what God's justice was about and where exactly it was necessary to, uh, to intervene to intervene for the sake of, of, uh, of uh, God's justice well, why was he so reluctant? why was he so when God Towards the end of the Pesach, why was Moshe so reluctant to take on the role? If he was, if, if according to the Pesachim, he was like a natural developer. You want me to tell you the real answer or make it up? <laughs> no, because because he wasn't sure. That's Moshe Rabbeinu's life. He wasn't sure B'nai Yisrael would make it. He wasn't sure B'nai Yisrael would be the winning hand. Not that he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to lose. That's why Rav Nachman says, Rav Nachman says that once given the job of defending B'nai Yisrael, he would always win. Because if God makes you the defender, it's not, you, you just have to defend. You just have to defend and you're going to win. But I mean, it was a, it was a difficult decision. That's what Rashi says. And he saw Jews beating up Jews, and he thought that whatever the process was, slavery to redemption, it was not working. It was not working. So Moshe Rabbeinu was not, uh, did not think that he could pull it off at first. Okay, have a good show. Yeah.